HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman, rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating pride. We speak to the bakers who created a custom wedding cake for Charlie Craig and David Mullins, the couple behind the masterpiece cake shop Supreme Court case. We felt that what happened to Charlie and David was an absolute injustice. Kat Johnson addresses the controversy surrounding Anthony Porosky, Queer Eye's food and wine expert. Many viewers thought these recipes were unsophisticated. And finally, Hannah Forden speaks with nutrition educator Leah Kurtz about the relationship between veganism and queer identity. It's an interesting way in which food can challenge invisible value systems even greater than sexuality does. Listen to Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E this week, and celebrate pride with HRN. Available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite listening apps. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, June 13th, 2018. This is the 180th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top writer, editor, and podcaster, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to not judge a book by its cover. Something we've all heard before, yet sometimes forget. It's easy to look at someone and form an opinion based on looks alone. However, appearances only say so much about a person, and certainly not the whole story. So never assume that someone's outside matches their inside, or that anyone's life is perfect, as we all have flaws or cracks. 
Leonard Cohen wrote, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Let's remember that and do our best not to judge or compare and rather appreciate what we have and others too. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Howie Kahn. He is a writer and contributing editor at the Wall Street Journal. He is also the host and editor-in-chief of Prince Street Podcast and the co-author of his first book, Sneakers, a New York Times bestseller. Howie has contributed to publications including Details, GQ, The New York Times, Travel and Leisure, and Food and Wine. He is a James Beard Award winner and a graduate of University of Michigan, Go Blue, and Sarah Lawrence College MFA program. Welcome, Howie. Hi, Sherry. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on my show. It's great to have you. Good PR tip. It's kind of a life tip, isn't it? Thank you. My PR tips um, are, are often life tips. Yeah, they, they, Think- they, they straddle both. They do, I think. And um, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I was thinking, how did I get to 180 episodes and not use that tip before? <laughs> I know. Well, I don't know if we, th- we think about that enough. You know, yeah. that, that gratitude piece, right? We're all rushing around doing our thing every day and maintaining our life and our families and our jobs and maybe friendships if there's time and pressing like, 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 like on Instagram and uh mm-hmm. Gratitude, like unless Oprah reminds you or Sherry Bayer reminds you, um, it, it's sometimes something that doesn't get into the everyday, which is uh, unfortunate. And you're right; it's it's something to keep tabs on. Wow. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you liked it. I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm speechless. You compared me to Oprah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good start of the show. You get a PR tip. You get a PR tip. <laughs> so. I said go blue, and I feel we've talked about Michigan, because I, I, I think we have. I'm a graduate, too. Go, um, go blue. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Like, what led you to go to University of Michigan and then graduate and get into get into writing? Well, I'm from, I'm from Michigan. Oh, okay. So, it wasn't one of those... Uh, out-of-state situations where I, I chose it for for some reason, like my camp counselor wore the shorts a lot when I was a kid, or like an older cousin went there. It was really close to where, where I was, and I think if you if you grew up in Michigan, when I was growing up in Michigan, a lot of people stayed home. You stayed near where, where you were. Um, Midwesterners stayed in the Midwest at that point in time. I liked going to Michigan. It was fun. I, I think I went there for the football team. I w- yeah <laughs> I I mean I went th- and I, the basketball I was, team me too I mean I went for lots of reasons for the academics for yeah. the sports for the social life uh, but I I'm from Miami and people thought it was nuts like yeah. what are you doing in Michigan yeah so yeah. Pay, paying that beautiful out of state tuition so yeah. in state kids could go for super cheap yeah thanks dad <laughs> thank you thank you Mr Bayer <laughs> so. Yeah, so we both went to Michigan. I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time when I was a basic liberal arts degree, but yeah. did you know you wanted to get into writing? I, I figured it out towards uh, towards the end. I started out in a in a pre med type curriculum, and it was just uh, it was just awful. I couldn't bear getting out of bed to go to these science lectures and thousand person halls with you know some guy with a, a super nasal voice and a perpetual cold and a bow tie that that matched his socks talking about covalent bonds I just it just wasn't exciting mm. uh, writing came through 
as I, I went on, but there is a food link. Um, the reason I do what I do now is very linked to something that happened in, in college. And it wasn't any of my, my classes cause they don't teach, you know, food writing. There was uh, you know, cause it's Michigan, Jim Harrison popped into the curriculum. Uh, every, every, every now and again, as he was, uh, somebody who lived in the upper peninsula and of course, uh, Hemingway lived in Northern Michigan, uh, for a period of his life. So that was, uh, that would, that would float into the curriculum every now and then, but I worked at a really great deli. I worked at Zingerman's. Did you? Yeah. And that was kind of this big turning point. I mean, when I think back on, on what happened in college, there were, there were two professors who were really important and uh, knew I could write before I knew. They just they just kind of spotted it and, and nurtured it, and uh, they were great, and I owe them so much. But the, the the thing that turned it in this direction was that job. Of course, I well, I, of course, I knew Zingerman's, but I didn't yeah. know you worked there. It's, and a, it's an incredible place yeah. to work because the way you're you're trained to do the job is is so largely narrative. I mean, it was the first place I ever realized that food was largely about stories. You know, they bring these, these foods in there and they were teaching us. And this is, uh, 1998, 1999. Um, you know, they were talking about raw milk cheese producers from France. And I think selling the cheese illegally at, at the time. And, and, uh, dry goods from Italy that they were bringing back. And there was so much adventure and spirit to their travels and, and their stories that I was mesmerized by the fact that they could go all these places because they wanted to find the perfect uh, dry spaghetti or the uh, the perfect piquillo pepper somewhere in, in Spain. You could get um, a raise at the job after checking off uh, a certain number of boxes. And I, I think it was called like the Zingerman staff passport at the time. It was the size of, of a passport. It might've been a guidebook, but I'm just going to go with, with passport. And it was purple and passport size. And there were boxes you could check. And they were for things like mastering uh, how to slice prosciutto San Daniele or how to, how to slice smoked fish like the guys at, at Zabar. So you would master all these skills. And while you were mastering the, the sort of skills and the, the techniques of, selling perishable foods you you'd learn who caught the fish and who cured the ham and then you got to tell the customers the stories and it was really fun it was really fun it was a great job i'm sure it was and it led you into food writing yeah it was a great it was i mean i i wish i could still go back there and work there for one day just just take They'd on probably let you take on one more shift have you written about Zingerman's I've never written. Re- I've never re- written about it. I like to talk about story. it. I like to talk about it all the time. But my, <laughs> I, I worked the uh, the Sunday morning shift. I opened the store on, okay. on Sunday mornings, and I would uh, show up probably around five. I mean, what kind of college kid wants to open a deli at five thirty in the morning? Me, you know, I would I would get there, and the the bagel delivery would be there, and then they were making all their breads fresh in their bakehouse, and the bread delivery would come on, and. My manager at the time was making, um, again, this is like 1999, he was, he was doing pour-over coffee. I had never seen pour-over right. coffee. You know, the, the, the coffee that I saw that was that instant was Folgers. And all, the, all these worlds were just opening yeah. up all the time. It was very cool. So after college, did what? Did you stay in Ann Arbor? <laughs> no, I left. Did I you mean, come I'm, to New York. I'm having these flashbacks now of like job instructions. We, like, can you go get that wheel of Parmesan <laughs> like out of the out of the walk-in? And 
we, you know, so we'd go back and, and get like a 75 pound wheel of cheese. And then they'd show us like how to crack the cheese with the little yeah. knives and where to tap it and how to move around it. And then wrapping all the different cuts. It was, it was awesome. Um, I left Ann Arbor <laughs> as soon as I possibly could. I mean, I think I ate my way through everything at Zingerman's. And I think one of the reasons why I felt like I had to get out of Ann Arbor is after living in a place, small town for four years like that, I kind of felt like I was out of things to eat. I was always going to leave, but I, I really yeah. remember very strongly like driving around there with my uh, college roommates, just searching for new things, just searching for new food. Don't you? I'm now I'm thinking of a chapati. Chapatis are good. Yeah, so a, ch- a chapati we is. We had pretty good food in Ann Arbor. I we mean, did, yeah, we it's a did. small town, but. No, we really did. Chapati is, is a, a salad dressed with like really good Italian red wine vinegar dressing inside a, a, a chapati. Giant but it's pita. like, yeah. it's, it's a very fluffy, fluffy bread. And the top they rip off and it's like, uh, it's like a salad in a bread bowl with oh. a bread top. We salad lived with a bread on those uniform. In my my house of were of you now there were two places that did chapatis right there was the pizza house chapati, and then there was like a competing chapati. Um, where I don't even remember where it was from. Because I'm blanking on the name is right nearby. Yeah, um, it was Amir's. Amir's, no, Amir's, no was Amir's was another place deli. we went to. Amir's was like okay. a more <laughs> Middle Eastern. Get stuck on. No, Amir's was like a Middle Eastern deli. Yeah. They had a great like baba ganoush and hummus, and and I think. Uh, they had ice cream too. I think they had really good pistachio ice cream. Yeah, we Did had stu- Stucci's. Stucci's was the ice cream place. I yeah. think, uh, you know, I don't know what Ann Arbor's like now. I have this like nightmare scenario in my head yeah. where it's all just like one big bank or a bunch of Walmart type stores next to each other. I mean, Borders was a big anchor there. It's, yeah. it's closed. I don't know if Shaman Drum bookstore's there anymore. I don't think it is. I don't. I don't know. I went back a couple of years ago for a game. I need to go again. Yeah. I'll give a report. Please do. Live podcast from, yeah. the, from the Michigan We have Tailgate. to do it. But, I mean, we could spend the whole to- show and we kind of are talking about <laughs> I like how it went from go, go blue to go Zingerman's. <laughs> but just a little. Uh, did you, where'd you move after? Here. I, you I, moved I, to New York. I, yeah, I went to grad school at Sarah Lawrence. I think one you, of my nice Michigan professors was able to somehow get me into an um, MFA writing program. Uh, which was great. It was. I, I knew I wanted to move here. I knew that I, I wasn't gonna have anything like a publishing career in in Michigan because there was no way to learn how to do that. Then there were no. I mean, there weren't really blogs. People were writing like super confessional right. first person memoirs. Everybody wanted to be uh, Dave Eggers. So I, I moved to New York and I, I went to uh, Sarah Lawrence to do a nonfiction degree, which was great. Did you ever work? in-house for a publication or have you always been freelance? Um, I've always been freelance, but I worked at GQ every day for probably five or six years as a fact checker mostly. Okay. Yeah. My first, my very first job though was at Sever. Oh. I got, uh, I got an internship my first semester of, of graduate school and uh, the office was on 23rd and, and Park and Coleman Andrews was the editor-in-chief. At the time, I was like 23. I went in there once and tested recipes. When I was dabbling in different yeah. jobs, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, I, got I think ye- we overlapped in, in our career yeah. moves a little bit. I got yelled at once for not... Um, <laughs> a box of, of macarons came from, I think, Lotteray. There for him. I was opening the mail. I was I was the intern, and so I was you know I was going to bring him his box of cookies in, into his office. And one of the uh, 
kind of middle editor stopped me like, what are you doing? And showed me how to arrange the cookies on a silver platter for Coleman Andrews. And I was just like, no, not, I'm not ever doing that. There's going to be no cookie arranging on silver platters for anybody ever in my career. No, but I'm as, as a freelancer. Yeah. There's a lot of pitching involved. There's a lot of pitching. And is that, I mean, did you always (laughs) want to be, why have you chosen to be? No, I didn't. I remember in grad school, like when I realized like people either have staff jobs or freelance jobs, I still didn't know I was going to be a journalist. I was, I was writing experimental first person garbage prose that, that, uh, I, I don't know how they let me do this. A lot of my professors were journalists and it kind of, a light went on in my head one day. I was like, oh, that's how I'm going to make a career doing this. I'm going to be a journalist. I'm not going to be a writer, whatever that means. Um, And so I started trying to do job things like getting internships, learning how to tell stories. I started pitching stories. And when you you start pitching stories, at least when I started pitching stories, um, the first thing you hear a lot is just no. I'm a, a publicist, so I can yeah. relate. The no, way no, I no, no, yes. no, 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 uh, And I, <laughs> I remember saying to one of my coworkers, like really early on, I was just like a dumb kid. How many? How much rejection can a person take? You know, really entitled garbage. And she looked at me, really dead in the face. She was a little older than me. I not incredibly worldly, and she said, "Howie, a lot." And I was like. Oh, and it was really such a turning point. It was this really pivotal, like slap in the face, uh, something I should have known anyways. Yeah, but you know, it you was... you grow up if if you're lucky sometimes in these very protected places. True. Was there a story that you wrote or that you pitched that you got a yes to that you feel like was your break? Yeah, there there definitely was one. I, I remember. Um, I was writing a, a travel guide story about the food scene in Portland, Oregon, when there wasn't much of a food scene in Portland, Oregon, just a few places, but it was really starting to, to happen in a really organic way. And I was having dinner with um, Michael Hebb and Naomi Pomeroy. It was at okay. that point in, in their careers mm-hmm. where they had combined their names and they were going by Heberoy and <laughs> they had these these great restaurants and I, I was sitting next to Michael and he was we were just talking about people and he was talking about Jim Denovan, who does outstanding in the field, the sort of uh, travels around in an old right. Volkswagen bus, sets up dinners on farms. This is like 2005. There wasn't really a term farm to table people didn't really care about chefs in like a regional way. People knew the chefs who were on the food network. People knew. And at the time it was like David Rosengarten and Mario Batali. And, um, what's her name? She also went to the university of of Michigan, Sarah Moulton, Moulton. who was Mm -hmm. so great. Like every day at four o'clock. Um, so good on TV. And the idea, TV. yeah, she was so good. What's Sarah, what's Sarah Moulton doing? She's uh, on, I'm going to have her on my show. Uh, you I'm should. still connected with her. Episode Sarah 181, awesome. Sarah Moulton. Sarah, I'm reaching my out God. to you. I mean, she was just, just a force. I learned, I learned so yeah. much about food yeah. from, from Sarah Moulton, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, Michael knew Jim, who had done like five farm dinners or something at that point. He was doing like four or five a year. Now he does like 60 and like has a car, you know, gets Uh car commercials. 
I thought it was so cool that there was this idea of this uh, wandering chef, which is what the piece was, was called, essentially. And I pitched it to GQ, uh, where I was working every day at the time, fact-checking a lot of stories, um, including all of Alan Richmond's stories at the time. Oh, wow. So that was the trajectory, right? So from Zingerman's to Sarah Lawrence to the Sever internship to Zingerman's, I mean, to GQ, where um, my first boss there, who was the head of the research department, asked me, like, which, which writers do you want to work with? And Richmond was, was the one I was reading, you know, mm-hmm. at, the, at the time, more, more than anyone else, because I, I was interested in food and this idea of stories. And I thought he was cranky and hilarious and insightful and well-traveled and, and wise. And so I started working with Alan. And then I thought, huh, maybe I should try to write one of these, one of these food stories. So I, I pitched a bunch of stuff, no, 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 and eventually this Jim Denovan story got through. And I remember I was so excited. I was so happy. Um, I remember leaving the office and, like, taking a victory lap around Bryant Park. Like, I was, <laughs> I just, like, you know, it's that, that New York moment in the movies when uh-huh. something great happens to somebody for, for the first time, and you feel like, wow, everything's going to change, and... You know, you're at that age when you're still sort of idealistic and you think one thing can change everything. It really doesn't happen like that. It's like more like slow incremental uh, upticks and setbacks for the course of a career. But it's fun to talk about that moment because it was such a high. So I went out and and reported this story. Um, Again, I think it was 2006. Magazines were really good. You know, if you if you worked at the office late, they'd send you home in a car that they paid for you could report a story until the cows came home, how, however long you needed, you know? And so I went on a trip with Jim for like two weeks, you know, traveling around the Western United States. Now it's like, you know, they want the stories done as soon as possible. They don't stack stories as much as they used to. They don't like have a big inventory. So now it's like you go, you report a story, you come home, you write it. It's, it's very efficient. Back then it was, it was a lot more romantic. Um, other kind of reporting still takes long yeah. periods of time. I mean, I think about somebody like Pam Koloff, who's writing these incredible criminal justice stories that take her a year to report. And just, right. uh, you know, tip of the hat there. But yeah. in 2006, having 14 days or whatever to report a food story. And then probably another... Then he came to the East Coast, and I think I hung out with him here for a little while. I, I, I really got into the reporting, and I loved writing the story. And then it got nominated for a James Beard Award. And then I won. That's incredible. It was. It, it, That's the win that it, I talked about. Yeah, I didn't know what the win was. was. The win was, was uh, that, that was first. The win. Yes. Wow. Amazing. It wasn't the very, well, the it wasn't first, the very the first one. thing, but it was um, irrationally early. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. It was great. It was great. And then the second, then the, the, my uh, follow up to that story, and this was a great lesson too, got killed the day it was shipping to the printer because the restaurant I was writing about went out of business because oh. it, was a, it was a fish restaurant in London and the guy was, was way ahead of the curve with sustainability and was doing all this sort of dock-to-dish stuff before there was that term and he was affecting policy in the UK um, and he was doing fast food also, Tom Akins. And he called me right at the end of the story and he's like, I, had to close, I have to close the restaurant. And it was, I think, because some guy who was his neighbor, some someone with a title, Lord or, or whatever, was getting some fish stink into his into his flat. 
you know, in Chelsea. So it was some real estate drama that ended up shutting down the story. So that's, that's the job, you know, you go from the high of, of winning some big award to like thinking you've done some other great thing. And then it gets killed because like some rich guy in London doesn't like the smell of his, uh, you know, foyer or whatever. Fascinating. Ups and downs, ups and downs. Yeah. Up, down. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a little break here. Come back. We'll talk more with Howie about everything he's doing. Well, I want to get a little into the, the podcast, too, and hear sure. about that. So stay with us. This is The Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Souther Teague of Moria Margo and co-host of The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everyman. The whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in copper pot stills, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso Sherry Buds. My favorite part about the Sexton is that sherry influence from those Oloroso Sherry Buds. They're the large sherry uh, barrels that have been used. And then the uh, whiskey gets aged in them for four years, giving them this sort of nutty, almost savory quality. Um, The copper pot still makes for an extremely smooth finish. Um, I like it in a highball or just neat. Uh, Every time I have a sip, I I want another one. So next time you're gathered with friends or posted up at your favorite bar, reach for The Sexton, the best-selling Irish single malt in North America. You can learn more at thesexton.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Howie Kahn. He's a writer, contributing editor, and he's the host and editor-in-chief of a podcast, Prince Street Podcast. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? That's How'd you get into that? I auditioned. It was uh, it was this this show. Dean and Deluca sponsored it. Sponsors it. It's still ongoing, and um, they were looking for somebody. My name was uh, thrown in the hat somehow, and somehow I got that job. I think I convinced somebody that I could do something I never tried to do before. It was great. It's it was at, it, like me here. Yeah, <laughs> it was at a really critical time too. It was um, the show launched two months after my son was born and I really wanted to do something that anchored me in New York for a lot of the first year of his life. I was really traveling a lot and I didn't want to be on the road that much with a, with a newborn baby. I just, I just wanted to be around. So I, sometimes the things you, you need to happen pop up. Yeah. True. You grab them. True. You know? So how often are you doing the show, and, and what's the format? Because I've listened. It's, it's great, but it's different <laughs> than here where we're yeah. doing it live. We're a little restless. I mean, we've, we've changed it up a bunch, of, a bunch of times. We started out doing it as monthly podcasts, then we went to twice a month, then we went back to once a month, then we went back to twice a month. Um, the format at the beginning was it had a lot of segments. I think some of our shows at the beginning had like six segments or yeah, something I'm, like I that. remember that. We tightened it up. We went to like two or three. Now we do some shows where it's just one. We do some shows where it's one with like a little bit at the end. We do this Madeline moment thing, which is about a food memory. Uh, you know, something you fondly remember that takes you back to a period in time in your life that was important or, or whatever. Um, we just try to have fun with it. We try to mix it up. Our show is, is not live. And in fact, it's, it's very tightly edited. I mean, we, we do the thing where sometimes we take an hour interview and we 
turn it, you know, whittle it down to the best 15 minutes and rearrange the order of the questions and try to form a narrative. So, you know, people kind of hear beginning, middle and end um, of something, but I love it. I love the format. I love yeah. talking to people. I'm much more comfortable being on, on your side of the mic and, and asking the questions. It's after that, during the commercial break, I was like, Whoa, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm talking a lot during my, my show. I, I kind of bite my tongue a lot cause I want, I want the other people to talk. Yeah. It's no, it's good. Me. It's good to, to yeah. be on the other side. Yeah. So are, in the editing, are you involved in that process? I have been. Okay. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where we take, you know, yeah. we take transcripts, we get them transcribed, we cut them up. You, can't just rely on the transcripts because it's audio and certain things can't be cut out and certain things sound a certain way and uh, so you have to know what can go where but it's like this it's this fun puzzle you know we x out things we move things around um yeah the editing can be tricky you know you also always want people to sound like themselves you don't want to change that right yeah no it's true I mean, there's pros and cons to, yeah. I think, both live and versus edited. But Yeah, but, no, it's, um, it's been super surprising. But your show's great. I Thank really, you. I've listened, I've listened to many you. of them. I love doing it. Thank you for listening. You're welcome. You and, you and my mom. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you have two, two listeners. I know. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you about this book you just wrote. Let's talk about that book. Sneakers. Yeah. Why? So it's, it's literally, <laughs> it's sneakers, like, uh, you know, the shoes. Yeah. Not, it's not, not some like literary title about people who are, who are doing things in the backwoods or, uh, you know, anything like that. It's, it's about, um, sneaker culture. Have I just find it fascinating. I, I find it's a lot like food actually. It's a lot like the food world. People are very detail oriented and particular designers are very artistic and, uh, they try to tell stories through their shoes. It turns on a lot of people, and it's a huge, huge business. Huge. I mean, I well, are you a sneaker, or were you a fanatic? Like, I mean, do you have like a yeah. whole, a whole closet of of not as much sneakers? not as much as some people. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have more now than than right. when I started. I think I, I I think there's been a tipping point where I now have more sneakers than I have condiments. And I, I am a, a condiment fanatic as, okay. as, as well. But yeah. now I, I surprisingly, and I didn't expect this to happen, I have more, I have more shoes. I like them. Well, I see your next book, The cond- Condiments. The and condi- then you'll have condiments more, then that will beat out. You'll, or even you'll like, a, like a product line where yeah. it's like, you know, the little tiny sneaker like ramekins that hold condiments. Or, well, actually, one of the guys in my book, John, John Buscemi, who has a really high-end line of, of sneakers called Buscemi, you know, like amazing Italian leather, really handcrafted. He just launched a line of hot sauce called Truff, uh, T-R-U-F-F. And it's like a truffle hot sauce. It's, it's really good. He's also like a partner in, in, the, in the deli, uh, Polly G's or something. It's oh, in L.A. Oh. Polly's, Polly G's. Polly G's is the pizza place. Polly G's is here. In, yeah. In it, might, it might also be called Polly and he G's. Has, he uses a, a Well, hot, he's the honey, honey on the pizza. Sauce. But John's place is a, yeah. is a deli. And there's definitely like sneaker people love food. David Chang did a, did a shoe last year with Nike. He has a, a Momofuku high top. People went crazy for yeah, it. Yeah, I remember, cool. it was I remember awesome. that. It was really cool. So this is a perfect segue into my question from, from my last guest. On episode 179, I had on Mitchell Davis, yeah. executive vice president of James Beard Foundation. And he was talking about how, how your worlds collided uh, back. Um, he wrote some articles for GQ. When you I used were, to fact check him. Yeah. I used to have to call Mitchell... Who like knows everything about everything and, <laughs> and be like, are you sure this pancake recipe, like a pancake recipe, I'm, a- I'm asking Mitchell Davis to fact check his pancake recipe. I'm just trying to be <laughs> earnest about my job and 
of course, because he's like super polite and professional. He's like, yes, yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we go way back. Mitchell's great. Yeah, he is. So his question is, as fine dining has casualized and chefs no longer wear white coats, dress pants, and leather yeah. shoes, but rather they're wearing aprons and sneakers, oh. can you look at a chef's sneakers and know anything about the way that person cooks? Probably. I mean, not a lot of chefs are wearing sneakers in the kitchen, although there are some. Like John and Vinny did a, a collab with Vans, I think. Um, the guy from Number Seven Subs did a collab. Chang did a collab. Uh, he also pointed out, and I remember this, how John George was an article about him, how he wore Prada yeah. shoes. Yeah. But, but I don't think I don't know how you'd wear Prada shoes in a kitchen. Like, well, it's John George. Slide all over the place. <laughs> um, I, I think you can tell certain things about people's personality from, from their sneakers. I think there's a, a care with which people pick out the shoes that they're wearing. So if someone's wearing like, oh, you know, like a pair of retro Jordans or something, like I would be willing to bet that that person also might be someone who's like fermenting things for a long time. Like they're interested in like the history and the funk and like making things old and cool. So I I think that's probably true. Um, You can also kind of tell like, I think like Roy Choi wears Air Force Ones a lot, which are like a classic Nike silhouette and like really simple one colorway. I think he wears white on white a lot. And like a person like that's usually like really honest, like just telling it like it is. And his cuisine is like a really straightforward representation of what he cares about. So I, th- I think there are certain things, certain conclusions you can draw. Um, the best pair of sneakers in the food world that I've seen is um, Billy Peel, who's one of the, um, I think he's the general manager of 11 Madison park has a, a pair of uh, one of one Jordan Jordans that were made for him by, I think his cousin who works at Nike with the 11 Madison park, logo embossed on them in gold leaf. Oh, These shoes are ridiculous. They're fancy. amazing. They're amazing. And I always, I always, t- I tell Billy, I'm like, why don't you wear those during service? And they have a uniform. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know if he's going to get away with high tops on the floor, but they're really beautiful Unless shoes. Unless they made them for the whole team. They're re- yeah. Which, in a hey, sense, Nike. <laughs> I could see 11 Madison, or that yeah. group, the Nomad yeah. group, like, yeah, doing they should. Eddie Wang the has made a, nice yeah. sneaker. Eddie Wang has a collab with Adidas. I mean, this this thing with, with chefs and sneakers, I, I think we'll probably see more of that. I hope we do. Okay. You've heard it here. Yeah. Angela Demiuga also is, is like a big sneaker person. I, I'm kind of waiting for her to, to put her imprint on something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs>
we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Howie Kahn. It's time for my speed round game. Uh-oh. I think you're going to be good at this. So fast. It's, well, it's called speed round. So I'm going to name a couple things and you pick your preference as okay. fast as you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Depends where I am. If I'm in New York, I like eating at home. If I'm traveling, always out. That's an original one. I like it. How about wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Hmm. That's re- that's that's really difficult. Today I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling beer. Okay. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Right now I, I like super large plates. Super large. Yeah, I like that. Like uh, you know, like the lasagna for what, however many people at Don Andrew, like these big format, yeah. these big format plates. I want to see it get bigger. Major Domo's doing some fun big plates, like bigger. I like family style stuff. Okay. People bigger. need to share. I really like Don Angie's. Me too. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all inclusive charge? I like tipping. You like tipping. How about high tops or slip-ons? Ooh, high tops. <laughs> I'm wearing some right now. <laughs> Writing or podcasting? <sighs> uh, sorry. Um, Stump- yeah. Stumping you? Ooh, I guess writing. You're doing it longer, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Can't do one without the other, really. I write a lot for my show. Yeah, true. How about uh, cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. You live in Brooklyn, too? I do. <laughs> awesome. That's the game. How'd I do? I think you did really well. What do I win? Well, my show, the <laughs> the winning prizes is kind of lame because... Um, Actually, you gave me a hat. I did, I did give you I a hat. I got a hat. You won a hat. I won even before in I advance, played. Because yeah. everyone on my show is a winner. It's a cool hat. Cool. All in the industry has cool swag. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. I'm, rock I'm glad it. you like it. Okay, so it's time for industry news. Okay. You know, normally I wait until the night before my show to pick my, my news story. I, I, I did not have to do that this week. Because, no. um, so, you know, every I think everyone knows, the industry knows, and, and the world knows that Anthony Bourdain passed away last Friday, and he committed suicide. It was um, extremely tragic news, and I, I'm... I've been having a hard time with it. Me too. Uh, I I know you've... I didn't know him, know him. Like, I met him a couple times. I, I, I'd i been to many panels and things that he'd been on. Uh, but I, I didn't really know him, and I feel I'm very affected. I know you've written many articles on him. I, I've listened to your podcast where you had mm-hmm. him on. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know what how... Uh, you know, I'm I'm like everybody else. I'm really I'm really sad and and stung and, um, you know, suicide's a, a confusing thing to to wrap your head around. You have to start asking a lot of questions about how and 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 why, and then you kind of remember that you're not going to get the answers. It's not something you can really report out um, necessarily. And I I did get to spend some time with him over the years, including a recent uh, piece I wrote for WSJ Magazine. Uh, he was a, a dream subject, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just so, so open. He respected the, the craft. He knew what went into it. I mean, as a, as a, and this is, you know, this is somebody who was a chef for his whole life before he really made it. And he really made it as a writer. 
Um, I think he had to have the experience of those years in the kitchen to write about, but he really made his name being a communicator and a storyteller. So when you would approach him to do a story, uh, he would just handle it with the utmost seriousness. Um, and it was a kind of empathy because he knew what it was like to be doing that and to be the person who had to produce the story, uh, or the content. And because of that, um, he was just so, so open. It was, it was, it was really something to behold. Subjects aren't like that necessarily. It's not par for the course. Yeah, true. I, yeah, I I don't, I don't, I don't even know what I want to say about it. I feel he's, he's influenced so many people and I, I felt, I I don't know, this weekend I felt I wanted to go by Layal, so I did. And, um, just to see, I mean, there's a, so many people have gone by there as a tribute to him and leaving notes and leaving flowers. And Mm -hmm. you see, um, how he's, he's just, it's, it's not just people in the food world that he's, he's made an impression on. No. And I, and I hope it's not just, you know, people in the food world who he continues to make an impression on. It's, it's terrible that he's, he's gone. Um, but we do have a lot of stuff left behind in terms of, of, of writing that's going to be valid forever. Um, his, his show, things he's filmed, talks he's given, podcasts he's, he's been on. Um, you know, there's a way in which that, that voice remains resonant and all the things he championed, um, we can get right back to them by, by reading his stuff and listening and watching. And then that's... Uh, you know, there's a little to take comfort in, 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 in this whole thing, but there, there is, um, there is that stuff remaining. I mean, he can still be a guide to us in, in, in all of those ways. There's still a way to, to go where he went because he did, he opened all these doors. He totally did. He, he, did, ama- yeah. he did amazing things for people. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons people connected with him. I think it was because of his his honesty. I think people saw a lot of their own sort of personal struggles in in him. Um, and there was sort of the the dreaminess of what he was able to do. Also, I mean, everyone who wants every people want to go around the world and eat and talk to strangers in a meaningful way and and have it matter. And I mean, what he was doing with his show in the end, his show wasn't. For me, it wasn't about food. It was just making connection after connection after connection after connection. And that's kind of what I find myself trying to do in, in these days, um, reaching out to people and having conversations and hugging my wife and my, and my kid a lot. Um, a lot of the things that, that, that making you sad and, and being in mourning cause you to do. Yeah, true. It's, it's, a, it's a great loss. It really is. There's so many... And I didn't know him terribly, yeah. you know, I mean, I beyond our professional interactions and, and seeing each other at, at functions time to time and having some friends in common, this isn't, you know, somebody I was going out to dinner with every, every Sunday. So, you know, the, the, the extent to which I feel sad and, and, you know, you feel sad, you think about those who are closest to him and it just, it just breaks my heart. It, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't, I keep thinking about Eric Repair and, and just, just and his family and people People who were his his dear friends, yeah. and because, yeah, I I've actually, I guess I've in a sense been surprised myself how how emotional I have been, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know it's it's staying it's not something I think it's gonna 
go away anytime soon or even maybe ever, you know? I don't think so either. I mean, it's a lot about, you know, what you're talking about at the top of the show. It's like, you know, you try, you try to find that moment of, of gratitude as, as solace, you know, you want to try to find it every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so many people have said to me, or I've heard say they've, you know, they wanted his life. They want to be Bourdain. Um, I, I just think, I think we have to, you know, step back and think, you know, that comes in with my tip with the judging a book by its cover. Like you, you don't, know. you just don't know what someone's going through. You never and know. We really need to, you know, keep that in, in you mind. Never know. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd, I'd just read a little quote. I wrote, I don't know. I have a bunch of, a bunch of his expressions. He has so many things yeah. he's written, but this one, this one, you know, spoke out to me and I saw a few people I'm friends with, um, post it. So I'm just going to read this. Travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. It even breaks your heart. But that's okay. The journey changes you. It should change you. It leaves marks in your memory, on your consciousness, on your heart, and on your body. You take something with you. Hopefully, you leave something good behind. And that's from no reservations around the world on an empty stomach. He was good. So, so yeah, good. Really good. Wow. I, my, you know, my heart goes out to, to his family and friends. And, um, yeah. Okay, we're going to take another break. And then we're going to come back. We'll end the show with my solo dining experience and the final question. Stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,
Welcome back to Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week is at Holman and Finch Public House. Here's the rundown. The location, 2277 Peachtree Road, Northwest, Atlanta, Georgia. The concept, good food, good drinks, good people, centering around its community, a place to gather and enjoy a respite from the day. The proprietors, Chef Linton Hopkins and his wife, Gina, Executive Chef Spencer Gomez. So why did I go? So last weekend I was down in Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, and I've always wanted to go to one of Linton's restaurants. Uh, This restaurant's part of Resurgence Hospitality Group, which is the name of his restaurant group, and they're staples in uh, Atlanta. I'm also friends with executive pastry chef Jennifer Yee, who used to live in New York, and I'm a fan of hers as well, and she's now down in, in Atlanta with him, and so I wanted to check out her desserts too, and I also know culinary director Damon Weiss, who's with the restaurant group, so I had lots of reasons to go. My experience. I went for a Sunday brunch, and I had a reservation for one. When I arrived, I was seated at a quaint two-top by the window in the intimate dining room. There were two servers that were tag-teaming my table in the whole room, and um, they were lovely. They had a a tremendous amount of Southern charm and uh, took good care of me. So what did I get? Well, I was tempted to get the H&F burger, which he's known for and it's popular, but uh, the night before, I had been out late at this spot, Marcel, in Atlanta, which I had their burger, and it was so damn good. I just couldn't have another burger yet. So instead, I went with the GA Royal Red Shrimp Toast, which is another fan favorite there. And it came with heirloom tomato, creole cream, and spinach. And after, I had a coffee and Eton mess for dessert. So my take, the creole cream sauce, which was rich and decadent, it soaked into the toast. It was delicious. It was worth the like 10,000 calories or whatever, whatever it was. It was, it was um, delicious. And then I, I really went decadent because I had this Eton mess, which is a traditional English dessert consisting of strawberries, meringue, and whipped double cream. And it was delicious and it had the freshest strawberries. So it felt a tiny bit healthy-ish, but really it was just <laughs> an excuse to have, have more of that dessert when I was eating the strawberries. It was just delicious. The ambiance is a casual modern gastro pub with wood tables and big windows. And up front, you can peek through a big glass window into the kitchen. It's perfect for comfort food and Southern hospitality. Interesting tidbit. Anthony Bourdain on his Atlanta episode of The Layover, which aired on Travel Channel in January 2013. He featured Holman and Finch, stating it was designed expressly for the chefly sensibilities of other cooks and chefs and restaurant people. Now it's a hit with everybody. And that's true. Personal fun fact, I met up with Jennifer Yee the day before, and we did a little restaurant hopping. We went to Cask and Ales Cafe, which I just read is closing now, so I'm glad I got there before before it closed. Um, We had a great lunch. We also stopped by their bakery proof and little tart bake shop at Krogh Street Market. I also went by this this Pond Street Market, which was really cool, and there's an H&F burger place there. I think next time I'm down in Atlanta, I'm going to have to try that burger. So the cost was, was, I think it was $27 to be 
on, uh, fully honest, full disclosure, I was comped, and I wasn't exactly sure what the coffee costs. But if I wasn't comped, it would have been about 27 But thank you so much to Jen and her team. I really appreciate them taking care of me, and um, it, was a, it was a treat. So would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website's holman-finch.com. Have you ever been there? I like Linton Hopkins. Okay. He's a good guy. Yeah, I've I've met him at events, I think, here and there, but I don't know him super well. But I'd like to try his other places. I had events every night I was down there, so I couldn't go to Eugene or in the dinner places. So. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Got to get yeah. back. Yeah, got to get back. Okay, so let's do the final question. So next week, my guest is Alan Shaya. He is an award-winning chef and owner of Pomegranate Hospitality based in New Orleans. He has a new cookbook memoir out called Shia, An Odyssey of Food, My Journey Back to Israel. And he recently opened Saba in New Orleans and is opening Safta in Denver, his two new restaurants. So Grandma and Grandpa means. Yes, you're, you got that. Of course, you're a journalist. You know this stuff. It's more Hebrew school than, <laughs> than, than journalism. And good memory. And, and good memory. So, yeah, um, that's cool. That'll be a fun guest. So I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to ask him a question. Yes. What would you like to ask him? It's kind of a hard question. I mean, Alon was, was involved in this, uh, this legal battle for his own name with, with his former boss, uh, the disgraced John Besh. Um, I'm wondering how one physically reacts to having to fight for their own name. Do you end up in, in, in the gym lifting more weight than ever before? Do you throw a shoe through a plate of glass? Do you just cook your face off and, and hope it all resolves? I, I, I want to know the immediate visceral response to that, uh, that lawsuit and uh, how it ended up working out for him in in the end how you come to terms with something like that i want the personal experience i know he can't talk about the legal stuff but he he, yeah. he can in legal terms talk about how he felt about it and i'd be really curious to hear about it i would too thank you for asking that question because um that's that's i mean it's i i i i don't know what personally i can't imagine what it's like to be fighting for your name yeah i mean i would i, I would have been furious if I, were, if I were him, you know, first of all, it's it's your own name, it's your reputation. Um, you're trying to break off from from somebody who who's not someone you want to be associated with, someone who's who's done it wrong. Uh, and then there's a battle over it, so there, it kind of seems unjust in a way. But legal contracts and justice aren't always yeah. the same thing. Um, and I don't I don't know alone at all. But I was thinking about him through that through that experience because it's a weird one. It is. And uh, I mean, it's not the first chef to be fighting for their name. No. It's, it's come up before. Um, and I think it's also like part of a bigger conversation about, uh, you know, how do you how do you split off from from somebody who, uh, you know, was was partnered in with you in, in a way. And, and then that person is, is not someone you want to be associated with anymore. I mean, that whole kind of breaking up is something that's going on in, in a major way. Um, in the food world right now and in movie studios and in corporate America and, and, and elsewhere. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting question for right now. It's in, a very in, interesting in, in this, question. In this, in this Me Too moment. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to talk to him. I've, yeah. I've met him. I've gotten to know him through going to lots of food and wine events and mm -hmm. usually seeing him in other cities. Uh, or, yeah. You know. His food's and delicious. His food's delicious. Super nice guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. And um, I'm looking forward to having him on. I'm looking forward to hearing him. Well, thank you. Well, that's the show. Thank you so much for coming on today and, and 
sharing all these stories <laughs> it with was me. It a pleasure, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I, we're going to talk more about Michigan memories and, um, congratulations on your whole career. I've, <laughs> I've, no, it, no, it's, you've, uh, I, I mean, we didn't get into it that much with as, as a writer, I feel as a freelance writer, I mean, that's, it's a hustle. It's hard. And it you've, you've gotten bylines out there that are, it's, it's very impressive. The writing you've done. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. I, I, I look forward to reading your next byline. Thank you, Sherry. Okay, so my guest today has been Howie Kahn. He's a writer, a contributing editor at the Wall Street Journal, and he's the host and editor-in-chief of Prince Street Podcast. Y'all should check it out. And check out his new book, Sneakers. Available on Amazon. Available on Amazon. And wherever books are sold. <laughs> you could also find Howie at his website, HowieKahn.com, and on Instagram I have at HowieKahn. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks again to my guest, Howie. Thank you. Thanks to my engineer, Vitor Hirsch. And thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. I'm Sherry Bayer. And uh, that's it for this week. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.